This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our present Pope, Pope Benedict XVI, has said in his first encyclical that the Church has three basic tasks. I found this very helpful, very illuminating over the years as I've meditated upon it. First of all, it worships God. Secondly, it cares for the poor. And thirdly, it teaches and evangelizes. Those are the three fundamental tasks of the church. Everything else we do are related to those three somehow. And think about it. Go through the typical work of a parish. I think you'll find at the end of the day, these are the three great headings. So it's helpful for us to meditate upon them. And the readings for this weekend give us just that opportunity because the three readings correspond, I think, really well to these three great essential tasks of the church's life. We'll look first at the first reading, which is taken from the legal, if you want, or moral section of the book of Exodus. It's toward the end of Exodus when all of the details of the covenant are laid out. So after the narrative part at the beginning of Exodus, we find this um, set of legal and moral prescriptions. And here we find now, and this is our reading, this extraordinary command, utterly typical of the Bible, but extraordinary in the grand scheme of things, to care for the weakest and most vulnerable in the society. The author Exodus speaks of Aliens, strangers, and foreigners in the land. See, what that meant now in ancient times was people who were unable, therefore, to flourish. If you're outside your own uh, territory, you're, you're outside your own people, you find yourself in the midst of a foreign people, it's very difficult for you to find your footing, to get ahead, to flourish. In most cultures of the ancient world, Foreigners were simply the object of contempt. Think in, uh, in Aristotle, someone who was uh, uh, conquered in a uh, foreign war, well, they could be enslaved. Most Greeks saw foreigners simply as barbarians. And of course, that word comes from barbar in Greek. They just thought that's all they were doing was, was uh, engaging in this animalistic speech. Foreigners were kind of subhuman. But now, out of the heart of the the Old Testament comes this revolutionary teaching to care for the aliens, the strangers, and the foreigners. To care, mind you, for widows and orphans. See, that was a code in the ancient world for those who were most vulnerable. Go back now in your imagination to a time before uh, insurance and before welfare and before any government uh, programs. People relied on their family. So as a woman whose husband has died, and let's say her wider family is not able to help her, 
the government didn't help her in any way. She was pretty much on her own. Or orphans. So here are children, their parents have died. And let's say there are there's no extended family to take them in. There's no welfare program. There's no social safety net. They are pretty much on their own. And there were a lot of these people roaming around in the ancient world. But now here's the Bible saying that we should have compassion for widows and orphans. Compassion precisely for the most vulnerable. What's the ground for all this? And it's so clear in Exodus. Is compassion or fellow feeling, right? Compassion from compatior in Latin, to suffer with. Because we hear now in Exodus, you were once aliens in the land of Egypt. See, enter into the space psychologically. Enter into that space where you were once a foreigner. You were once a stranger. You were once vulnerable. And when you find that place, you will stir up compassion in your heart for those who are foreigners and strangers and widows and orphans and the weak among you. There's the biblical call. And just to make it as clear as possible, the author tells us, when these weak people are ignored, God becomes angry. Now, I've spoken many times before about the symbol of God's anger. Don't literalize it. Don't turn it into an emotion as though God is a raging, uh, dysfunctional father. What's God's anger? It's God's passion to set things right. It's God's passion to set right human relationships. And therefore, he has a compassion for the marginalized. And this runs right through the biblical tradition, of course, right up to the time of Jesus. And then it comes into the church's social teaching. St. Ambrose of Milan said, if you have two coats in your closet, one belongs to you. The other belongs to the man who has no coat. See, that's right from Exodus all the way up now into the church's social teaching. That's the idea. The church cares for the poor, the weak, the marginalized. How fully, now I'm asking myself this question as I ask you, how fully are we responding to this great demand of being a member of the church? Okay, then we turn to our second reading, and we find the second of Papa Ratzinger's great emphases. Namely, that the church is about evangelization. The text, by the way, is a, is a precious one because it's the earliest text we have in the Christian tradition. Now, maybe there are earlier ones that were lost, but the earliest one that we have is Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, written maybe around the year 50 or early 50s of the first century. So we're within a couple of decades of the dying and rising of Jesus. We're at the earliest stage of the church's life. And Paul writes his letter to the church at uh, to the Thessalonians. What does he tell them? He praises them because they become a model for all of those in the surrounding country. They've done so in the measure that they've received the faith with joy despite obstacles. So they've taken in the faith that Paul announced to them. He evangelized them. And now, now... 
by their very joy and commitment, they are evangelizing everybody around them. He says this, and I love it. It's a beautiful one-line summary of Christian faith. He said, You've turned from idols to the worship of the living God who raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, what he means is you've been evangelized. You've heard the good news about the living God of Israel who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's Christian faith. And therefore, you are a compelling sign to everyone around you who are still stuck in the worship of idols, who have still not heard the good news about the resurrection. Here's the point now for us, members of this same church, with this same obligation to evangelize. Do we today, by our joyful acceptance of the faith in the face of obstacles, do we, by our turning from idols to the living God, edify and inspire those around us? Now, I know, friends, it's a difficult thing to talk about because we're so ordered to this very interiorized, privatized sense of faith. You know, faith is something that's good for me, and that's fine. And then you've got your version of it, and who am I to be imposing, you know, my view on you? Faith should not come out publicly. It makes us kind of nervous. But we can't accept that. We can't accept that prejudice. Because one of our essential tasks is to evangelize. It's not just about me and my private concerns, me and my private spirituality. It's about becoming a living icon of Christ so that people see in my joy and my faith something that they would find deeply attractive. I wonder now, and I say it again, a challenge to myself and to to all parishes, all parish priests, all those who work in parishes, all those who live in parishes. Do we think of the parish the way Paul thought of the church he was writing to? In other words, do we think of the parish as a place whose purpose, one of whose central purposes anyway, is to evangelize the surrounding community? How many parish priests think, well, no, my basic job is to take care of the Catholics in my community? And that's certainly true, but how many parish priests think, no, my, at least one of my jobs is to order a community that's so joyful and so powerful and so integrated in their faith in Christ that they become a light and a beacon to all the communities and towns around them. There's individual evangelization, but also a kind of evangelization collectively. The parish itself announces the good news. Okay? So we take care of the poor, we evangelize. Then the final of the Pope's emphases, the church worships the true God. And the gospel today speaks of this so clearly. The Pharisees are, as always, eager to trip Jesus up or to embarrass him, and they pose this question, Teacher, which commandment of the law is the greatest? And Jesus gives that beautifully clear and unambiguous response. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. What's he talking about here? He's talking, if you want, about worship. 
as I've said to you before, worship, from an earlier English word, worth-ship. What do you consider to be of highest worth? Everything else in your life will flow from that. Everything else will be determined by it. What's of highest value to you? So what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That means worship God. What's the church's essential task? One of them is to do exactly this. That's why the Mass, the liturgy, is the source and summit of the Christian life. It's where we engage in this great act of worship. This is the act that identifies, and if I can put it this way, that rectifies the church. It sets the church right. And once the church is set right, it becomes the beacon for the rest of the world. So I might close, friends, by talking just a little bit about the interdependence of these three things, these three great tasks, to care for the poor, to evangelize, to worship God. When you worship God, you're ordered to God, then you love everything that God loves. (laughs) Whom does God love? Everyone in the world. That's why the worship of God conduces toward the care for the poor. You love God, you love those whom God loves, the poor. And when you do that, when we do that as a church, then we become a beacon to the rest of the world. They see us and say, look how these Christians love each other. So you see how love of God leads to care for the poor, and that becomes a powerful tool of evangelization. There's the church. Walk through these three readings and see the three essential things that we're about. And then above all, friends, I say to myself, as well as to you, let's do them. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Four years in the making, and it's finally here. Our new Catholicism documentary series, book, and study program are now available to order online at catholicismseries.com. Will you help me introduce this epic film series to your parish, school, family, and friends? Catholicism is an unprecedented adventure around the world and deep into the faith. Learn more at catholicismseries.com or call 1-866-928-1237. That's 1-866-928-1237.